All right, the children can head out to Children's Church at this time, and where you guys have a great lesson waiting for you guys. Guys, I got to tell you, on Thursday, um, I was in the back when the announcements were going on, but I got to let you know, 51 kids in here on a Thursday, all here uh, to engage with God, and uh, I mean, and, and most of them aren't our kids. It's fantastic. So be in prayer, please, about uh, the outreach that we have to these people that we are able to share the gospel with them in a unique and, and meaningful way. Well, we're going to continue on looking at the topic of uh, the spiritual exercises. People call them spiritual disciplines. I'm going to call them the exercises because dis- I don't know why, uh, uh, just exercise seems to be a little bit better. Last week we talked about the first one, which was the topic, the exercise of listening, listening, paying attention. We talked about how God is talking to you. He is talking and he is talking to you. Uh, that we need to make, you need to make yourself available. That happens two ways. One, you set aside time in your day where you are uh, allowing God into your life, and then you also allow him the right and the privilege, which is his, to interrupt your day whenever he so sees fit. And we talked about ultimately you need silence in order to listen. Uh, one-way conversation is not a conversation. It's a soliloquy. That's why there's two different words for it. God is looking for conversations where we are not merely speaking to him, but we are being spoken to. We need to find a quiet place and empty our minds and empty our mouth. Well, once we decide that we are going to listen, and you had those exercises. So each week, you'll see in the bulletin, right on the front is the sermon notes, and on the back are the midweek exercises you can do to participate in some of these exercises or to get started if you don't know how. It's also on the church app. Yay, plug. It's also on the church app. The notes are there. The, uh, everything's there. Take it with you everywhere. If you lose the sheet, big deal. It's in your phone because we try not to lose those things. They're expensive. Once we are listening, when God is speaking, the next spiritual exercise is what we need to focus on, and that is discernment. Discernment. It's not a word that we use a lot in modern, modern time. I mean, we just don't use it very often, but it is a critically key in, uh, component of the Christian lifestyle. If God is speaking to you, if you hear him, then the question comes in. And I, I mean, whether you hear him audibly, whether you hear him internally, you, you feel a leading, uh, whether, whether you're reading the scriptures and you come across something and you think it's speaking to you, the question is, how do you know it's God? That's where discernment comes in. It is great to hear. We just got to make sure the source is right. See, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. He's talking about in later days. People, if you do not realize, we are 1,900 years uh, later. We're, we are in the later times. He says that in those later times, as we draw nearer to the return of Christ, what we're going to find is that there are those among the faith, those who are Christians, those who have known the truth, who are going to allow themselves to be drug away from sound doctrine, proper teaching, 
and they will turn and devote themselves to the deceitful spirits and things taught by demons. Now, for most of us, I mean, that, that's really hard to believe. That's really... Let's read the next passage, and then, and then I'll go on. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen to 15. Paul is talking about men who are coming into the church in Corinth and teaching them things that Paul did not teach them. He says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. What these two passages put together tell me is that there are deceitful spirits, deceitful workmen who present themselves as angels of light, as messengers of light, as messengers of righteousness, but what they're doing is they are actually teaching you to abandon the faith. And it only makes sense because, listen, most of us as human beings, we want to be good people. That's what we want. We want to be good. We want to be thought of as good. We want to do the right things. Even people who are doing the wrong things are doing them because they believe that they are the right things or they have convinced themselves or deceived themselves. No one. If Satan popped into the room right now and said, hey, I need some people to join me. We're going to go kill some babies today. Who's in? <laughs> Not one of us is going to be like, oh, yeah, sounds good. What he does is he presents himself as an angel of light. He takes the truth, twists it just enough that it empties it of its power. And it's twisted just enough that it sounds right, but it isn't. And that's what he does. He just slowly twists the truth over and over again until we end up believing a flat-out lie. So whether we are reading the Scriptures, how do we know? How do we know that what, we're, that, that what we're seeing and what we're understanding, how do we know that that's from God? Again, you might think, well, it's Scripture. Surely. No, I, I, that's fantastic, except in Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus is going, he goes into the wilderness, right? And Satan appears to him, tempts him three times. Do you know what he does all three times? Quote scripture. Satan has had millennia more than you have to study that book. He knows what it says, and he knows exactly how to twist it. He's practiced on millions. So we've got to be on guard. Discernment becomes critical to who we are. Now, most of the time, discernment is usually, and, and, it, and rightfully so, don't get me wrong, rightfully so, it is defined, even in the Scripture, as uh, distinguishing between good and evil, right? Being able to look at something and decide whether it's good or evil. I'm going to take it a step further if you will allow me to do so. And I, this is the definition I want to throw up there of what I see and I understand discernment to be. I think it's a little broader than that, whereas, yes, it's distinguishing good and evil. That is a part of it. It's bigger than that. Here it is, discernment is discovering the unseen reality and origin of a word, an action, or a situation. It is 
seeking and discovering the unseen reality and origin of a word, of a action, or a situation you may find yourself in. There was a guy when in our first church, I was a, an associate pastor, some of, some of you. At this point, I, I, I've been here five years. I have no idea where I told my stories, whether it was Wednesday night, Sunday morning, or small, small group, or in our house. I mean, I don't, I don't even know. So you just hear, you're going to hear them. So when I was an associate minister in Frederick, Maryland, there was a guy there. His name was Phil. He was one of the deacons of the church. And Phil ran off from his wife. He ran off, um, uh, but he, he, you know, here's the weird thing. He kept coming to church where she was, and they, they, would, they would sit in the same church, but, but he had abandoned her for another woman. Now, what had happened was Phil had uh, uh, met this woman at work and felt for her, according to him, ways he had never felt for his wife that he was with. In, in that, he decided, so anyway, we pulled him in because the elders were going to talk to him. You know, we can't have this. You, you, you're there's some accountability that happens in the church. So we pull him in. We're trying to understand what's going on in his mind. And this, this is seriously, this is honestly what he said. He said, God created Eve for Adam. She was made specifically for him to be his helper, to be his complement. Adam couldn't mess it up. There weren't other women that he could have ended up married to. He said, I married the wrong one. The one that God made for me is this woman I'm with now. And that's what God wants. If she's the one that he made for me, not having her would be sin. There's some mental gymnastics right there. But he was, he, that's the way he understood it. A friend of mine was at a church one time and they were having a Wednesday night study. And uh, they were, they were <laughs> this one, this one, I just, wow. They're going around, and, and they're talking about purity, and they come to this guy who sat there, and he goes, listen, I don't buy the, the, the purity arguments as you guys, uh, as you guys do, that uh, we should abstain. He said, I am a very, forgive me. He said, I am a, he didn't say that. He said, I'm a very sexualized creature. And... I would never, I hate divorce so much, I would never want to marry someone who could not meet my appetites. So, God wants me to sleep with as many people as I can so that I can find my compatible spouse. If I wasn't as fat and could do gymnastics, I'd be doing cartwheels here. Just that This is what they're thinking. What are you thinking? That is nonsense. It doesn't make any sense. Discernment. That's what Satan does. He takes truth. God loves you. Yes, he does. And he wants you to be happy. Well, well, that's a little weird because that's not in there. But then it it just twists it until all of a sudden you're doing something that is offensive to God. What both of those should have been looking at is asking themselves, especially like Phil. I mean, why did this woman come into your life? Why were you guys put into this circumstance? Who gains from what is happening? Is God glorified? What's the origin? Did, did, God, you, did God honestly send you this person? Is that Discernment is looking beyond just the outward appearances into the reality of a situation. 
Now, in John 7, verse 24, it says this. It says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. That's what Jesus, uh, was, that's what Jesus taught. He said, do not judge judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. The problem is most of us as human beings, we do not discern. Even as Christians, we don't discern. It's something that we have to practice. It's something we've got to become good at, but we do not do it. Most of us still do what everybody else in the world does, which is react. Someone says something, someone does something, or I'm finding myself in a situation I don't like, and I react to it. The situation is A, I react B. That's just the way most of us are. The example that I always use, I don't know why it's the one I always use, but it is, imagine someone standing there yelling in your face, just just angry, cursing and insulting, and, and I mean, you're, you're even feeling threatened. What most of us do is we sit here and we say, this is a hostile dangerous person, this is a violent situation, and I am going to respond X, and the way I respond, it's, it's reacting. Most of us, what happens if someone yells at us, we get back in their face and say, you better back down. You better knock it off. You better stop. Because what we're doing is we're confronting the external circumstance. We're, we're, we're confronting the external uh, actions and the words of this person. But God tells us, do not judge by appearances. And that's more than just the way you dress. Don't judge by appearances. Someone he tells us to look with right judgment why is this person so angry if someone is in your face and screaming discernment reaction tells you to make them stop and react discernment stops doesn't react and asks a question why is this person like this the honest truth Family, most people act out of hurt. People who are angry, even people who are violent, almost all of them act out of hurt. There is a hurt that is driving it. The ones that aren't driven by hurt, that are driven by enjoyment, we call them psychopaths because that's not normal. Hurt in us drives us to respond badly. These people that are yelling are responding badly. So to respond to their response doesn't work. So I was uh, doing waiting during college. I was waiting tables, and I was at this uh, country club, and we had to wear these really weird outfits. And I went in, and I usually, I, I had a, a way, it always went really well, and I got really good tips. So I've tried to tell my kids, you want to make quick money, you go into the service and, and you can make good money doing that. So, so I go up to this table, and I'm very nice to them. They're mean. Boom. Right off the bat. Hateful. I better see this, this, this if my glass gets this low. But, but, but. And he was one of those guys that throws the, throws the money on the table and says, everything that you fail, I'm going to take a dollar back. We're friends. You're fantastic. So I did my best. I did everything I could to try to make this guy happy, to try to do what I always do, which is to make people feel welcomed and get their food to them on time and meet their needs. That's the way I, that's the way I understood my job. And I did it, and, and it didn't matter. He was constantly berating me and, and just mean, just mean. And I was so mad. I was, I, I was, I was about, I was about accidentally dropping cup in his face mad and I go to the back and there's this lady back there and 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 she looks at me and she can see that I'm upset and she goes Nathan come here and I said 
uh, she goes, come here. What's wrong? And I told her, I told her, man, this guy, he is just being a jerk. He's, uh, and I started telling her all the things he does. And she goes, wow, what do you think is going so wrong in his day that he's treating other people that way? And I stopped for a minute. I said, what? She said, well, was he angry before you talked to him? I said, yeah. She goes, then it's not you. Why is he angry? Why? What's going on? She said, you know what? You need to go out there, and you need to be a turning point in his day. You need to be the one that breaks that anger, or at least tries. I think that was some of the best advice I ever got. I've tried to live that ever since then. Discerning why people say do the things they do, or why this? Why am I in the circumstance I'm in? Trying to figure those things out because it allows us to be more like Christ. So, um, uh, in First Samuel sixteen seven, Samuel God has rejected Saul the king, and he sent him to go find a new one who we know is going to be David. He ends up at the house of Jesse. Je- he asked Jesse, "Bring out your boys. Bring out all your all of your sons. I want to meet them." And and so they start bringing them out one by one. There's one man. He's just a giant, and he looks kingly. And Samuel thinks to himself, "This has got to be the guy. Look, he's built." Here's what he says. But the Lord said to Samuel, "Do not look on his appearance." Or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And this is the rub. This is what we're talking about, discernment. Discernment looks beyond how things present, because everybody presents. We all put on a face. We don't want anyone to see the behind. We're the Wizard of Oz. We don't want anyone to see behind the curtains of our family, the the fights, the arguments, the disagreements, the not getting along. We don't want we don't want anyone to see that. We want everyone to see everything okay. But listen, every face that you, every person you come into, there there's a reality in their life behind what you see. Discernment is learning to discover those things. Now, discernment is one of the spiritual exercises, so I want to throw this up here. Hebrews 5, 11 to 14. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That sounds like an exercise to me. Yeah, I, I get it. I, get, I, I, I have discussions. You know what? First, first Corinthians 12. Yeah, discernment is listed as one of the spiritual gifts. What that means is, is that some of the some of the brothers, some of the sisters, have the gift of discernment. They don't have to practice it. They don't even have to exercise it. They just got it. Have you ever met a Christian that just, it's like they could just look right through you? That's what I'm talking They got that gift. They, it's just one of them. But that does not change the fact that we are all supposed to be growing in discernment, in the ability uh, and in the practice, as it says, the constant practice of distinguishing good from evil. We have to be assiduous in it. I think I've just decided I'm going to have assiduous in every sermon uh, this year. So how do we do it? How do we get this discernment? 
if it's not gifted to us, how do we begin to get it? Well, it begins very simply and pretty obviously. Number one, ask God for discernment. Seems ridiculous. It almost seems like it shouldn't be said, but it has to be said. It has to be said. When we were in Frederick, that same church I was talking about, Phil, uh, there was a lady, there, was a, a, a lady there and uh, her name was Sherry. And in the women's group, they would sit and they would talk about things going on. And she had this funny saying, uh, whenever someone would share their problem, people would give advice. And then ultimately, someone would say, well, maybe we should pray about that. And this was her reaction. She goes, prayer, has it finally come to that? Concept being, we only turn to go, we only go to God when we can't handle it ourselves, when the reality is he should be the first one we're going to. Go and ask God for discernment. He will give it. What did Solomon ask for? Most people, you ask, you ask most kids that go, uh, that, that go to Sunday school, they go, wisdom. Nope. That's not what he asked for. Solomon asked for discernment, not wisdom. He got wisdom, but he asked for discernment. 1 Kings chapter 3, 9-12. He says to God, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have instead asked for understanding to discern what is right, behold, I will do according to your word. I will give you a wise and understanding mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. He didn't ask for knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. He asked for discernment. God. Let me see right from wrong. Let me see the re- beyond the reality. Because he's going to be the judge, the king. People bring their arguments to him, and he has to decide who's right. He's got to sit and adjudicate for them. It's, 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 and he's so, he looks and he says, these people are going to be coming to me. I've got to be able to see through the facade they're putting up. I've got to look beyond the appearances. I've got to see what's really going on. And just right down after this, two women come in who are in the same house. They've both just had children. One of them rolled onto the child and smothered it, in, smothered hers in the night, switched the babies, gave the dead baby to the other one, and thought that she was somehow going to get away with it. They bring it in. Solomon is faced with this immediate situation. What do I do? This one says it's her baby. This one says it's, the living one is hers, and this one says the living one is hers. How do, how do, he had to be able to figure out how to discern beyond what they, both are saying it's theirs. Discernment pierces through that veil into what there is, and God gives it when we ask for it. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Discernment only comes from God. The ability to spiritually discern only comes from God. The ability to truly understand the difference between good and evil. So if you want it, we start with asking him. Second thing is this, never assume you know. 
never assume you know. Assuming is almost never a good thing. Uh, it is almost always determined by outward appearances. We look at someone, we make an assumption. They say something, we make an assumption. They act a certain way, we make an assumption. And we make those assumptions, and then we lay down a judgment upon that person based on the assumptions that we have made. That is the opposite of discernment. Assuming that we know anything, I'm going to be honest, is the problem with most humans. We think we know. And in fact, the... The more we think we know, the more arrogant we are, which means we are less receptive to hearing what God has to say to us. That, again, is why the scriptures say that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge makes us feel like we know more than we actually do. In seeking discernment from God, we approach it with the attitude that I need what he has to say. I need him to speak to me. Our assumptions are tainted by flesh and often wrong. There was a lady when I was growing up, we went to a church, and uh, my mom was, was making new friends there. And there was a woman who my mom, she was in class with her, tried to interact with her. She gave her my mom the cold shoulder. She was aloof. She didn't respond except like maybe one or two words to a question. She did not interact with her. And my mom, I, I, I can remember, my mom thought she was arrogant, stuck up, entitled, just had that air about her. And carried that for a little while. Because that's the assumption. Instant assuming what the actions and the words meant. It wasn't until later she found out that this woman was crippled by a severe introversion. That even in a small setting was, was, was terrified of interacting with other people. And it, out of protection for self, shielded herself from other people. She wasn't arrogant. She was hurt. Never assume the intentions of others. It never works out. Let's look at this. Satan. I want to tell you a little bit about Satan here for a second. Satan in Hebrew, Satan is the, the, the name in Hebrew, um, and it means accuser. He is an accuser. In Greek, it is diabolos. Diabolos which means to throw in the direction of, which basically is the same thing as accuse. That you are, I mean, haven't you ever heard you're lobbying insults, you're lobbying accusations, right? We talk, you're throwing them around, you're seeing what'll stick, that kind of, that's where we get it from, devil. Satan, all he does is assume. That's all he does. We are told in 1 Timothy that Satan was arrogant, and it was his arrogance that caused him to fall. It was his believing that he knew better than God, the creator. He understood the creation. He understood people. He understood heaven. He understood it all. And, and not shockingly, because he, we are told, was, was, was given the greatest wisdom, the greatest beauty. He was the pinnacle of everything that God had made. And so he became very self-absorbed. He knew it all and couldn't be told anything. And he decided he knew better than God and he went down and did all the things he did. And even, even when 
when he got punished and God says, you're going to live on the earth, he still walks in and out of heaven and he is interacting with God. And what does he do? He accuses mankind. Even then, he's sitting here looking and saying, hey, look at Job. Here's this, this. And all he does is accuse, accuse all the time. That's all he does. Accusation comes from an arrogant belief that you already know the answers. That's what he does. He accuses you. He accuses me. Because he believes he knows you better than God knows you. He looks at you and says, look, you're sinful. You're wicked. You're awful. You've made all of these mistakes. You're worthless. And we sit and we look at ourselves and we go, you know what? Everything he's saying about me is exactly right. And God is sitting there going, that's not what I made you. That's not what my, my son's cleaned all of that off. It's all gone. There are two kinds of judgment. We talk about don't judge, right? There's two kinds of judgment. One is discernment. That's another, I mean, discernment is a, is a kind of judgment, which is uh, if, if Phil, here he is, leaving his wife, going after this other woman. He got pulled in. The elders looked at him, and he basically said, don't judge me. They weren't judging him. They were discerning his actions. Those, that's different. They, were, they did not look at him and say, because here's the two kinds. There's discernment and, and, uh, and, the, uh, and assessment of worth. So I'm, I'm judging your actions versus I'm judging your, your value. The elders did not come in and say, uh, right now you're going to hell, Phil, because you have messed up. No, that's, that's, that's not our judgment. But they were being discerning. They were looking and saying, Phil, what you're doing is not godly. What you are doing is wrong. We are supposed to discern, but not judge. So I want to, Satan does that, that kind of judgment, the accusing judgment, the condemning one. Discerning is the other. Let's go to the last one. The third thing is test everything. Test everything. Test what you believe. Test what you hear. And that includes me. I've said, that's, I've said that in every church. I've said it every once in a while to make sure that you pay attention to that. Do not trust what I say. I'm a human being, I'm flawed, I'm messed up, I get things wrong, I understand things incorrectly, I communicate them poorly. Ask my kids, I'll be thinking one thing, something else comes out of my mouth. I'm broken, messed up. Don't trust my words. Don't trust what you hear. Test it. Test me, always. Test what you desire. Why do I want this thing? Test what you do. Why do I do the things that I do? Test the origin. Test the spiritual reality and be honest with yourself. In 1 Thessalonians 5.21, Paul says, Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. In Matthew 10.16, Jesus says it this way. He says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as 
doves. Why is a serpent? So what often happens is uh, uh, we, don't, we don't necessarily know, or at least I haven't seen a lot of people know what to do with that verse because it kind of sounds like Jesus is saying, uh, when you're in the world, be worldly, just don't sin. And that's not what he's saying. Um, I, think I, I think I figured it out, and I'm telling you, again, don't believe what you hear. If it makes sense, great. A serpent has a bifurcated tongue, correct? We know what that means. It it comes to the end and it forks. Each of those forks point in different directions. They are aimed away. What we know about serpents is that their senses, their sense of smell and part of their sight, their understanding of their surroundings comes through the tongue. They are flipping that thing out all the time out of their mouth all over the place because when they flip it out, the two forks pick up. It it, it gives it a sense of where its food is, where shelter is, where protection is, where danger is. It goes out and it senses. And as it sends it out, it's going in two directions. Do I go this way or this way? The snake uses its tongue to discern where it needs to go. And that's why, and and, and even when they're still, even when they're still, it's just constantly. There's no point at which a serpent's like, well, that's enough tongue tongue wagon. No, there's all the time they're sticking that thing out because they want to know all the time where they got to go, where they got to be, where is everything. They are discerning their situation. He is say, and that's why we consider them cunning and wise. You jump at a serpent, you jump at a snake, it already knows where the hole is. I didn't even know the hole was in the wall. It's already there. Gone. And we're like, man, that thing's fast. And they're, they're discerning. They see it all. They understand their surroundings. Listen, you and I, we are supposed to be shrewd as serpents, crafty as serpents in that way, that as we go out into the world, we are flicking our tongues all over the place, that every decision, every action, every word, every desire, everything that we engage in in this world, we are testing it against God. We are asking ourselves, is this activity, is this, are these words, is this situation I'm in, why am I in it? What is the spiritual reality of what's around me all the time? What's going on? Reminds me of Elisha, right? He's got his servant, and he's up there, and he sees the nations coming down, and they're, and they're surrounding Israel, and he's like, oh, man, we're, they're going to destroy it. They're going to destroy Jerusalem. Elisha comes out and says, no, here. Lays his hands on him. His eyes open, and he sees all around the, uh, all around the ridges surrounding the city. Yeah, there's the army of the enemy. But he sees the flaming army of God. He needed to see the spiritual reality that he is in. You and I, when we go out, we need to, we need to, start, we need to start trying. I want you to practice it. That's what it said in, in, in Hebrews, right? Practice it. A constant practice. Go out and as you walk out of here, picture the spiritual reality you're What's actually going on? Someone's in your face. Why are they acting this way? It's a good exercise. 
So how do we test it? The Apostle John gives us this. He says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. But we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The Apostle John says, the way you understand whether a leading a word, what someone else teaches, is from God or not, is that you compare it with what the apostles taught, what Jesus and his apostles taught. If it contradicts that, it is not from God. Paul talks about a house being built. Jesus is the capstone. The apostles are the foundation. That's how you know which building you're in. See, Phil, Phil should have stopped and asked himself, I feel like God is telling me this is my wife. I feel like I made a mistake and, hmm, what does the scriptures have to say about this? Oh, adultery is not from God. God despises divorce. God leads no one into temptation. When we are tempted, we should never say it is from God. Over and over, all he had to do was ask himself the simple question, hmm, do the scriptures show my God is a God of faithfulness or a God of convenience? And he would have known whether that message was from God or not. Test everything. I want to end with this scripture, Philippians 1, 9 through 10. We'll have the band come up while I read this. And it is, and this is a prayer of Paul. He was praying to the church in Philippi. And so I want you, I want you to receive this as a prayer for you, if you're willing. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. I want to offer you this moment right now if you feel Christ calling you to confess him as Lord, to wash away sins, whatever it is you feel, that even if it's just the need for prayer, if you hear the voice of God right now, you can know it is from him because Satan will not lead you ever to God's altar. If we can help you, if you're ready to respond, you can do so now. Let's stand. We're going to sing our song of invitation.